0: Good morning, good to see everybody here, well not everybody, but a lot more than last time and the time before, so we are grateful for God's mercy in so many ways, aren't we? Probably appreciate this time a little more than maybe we have in the past, not taking it for granted quite as much as we tend to do, as we tend to be like that in all things, but especially things that are good and from God, because He is so gracious. I take for granted being able to stand here before you and I just am so blessed to be able to to do that today Um, and uh, just grateful whether you're checking in online or whether you're here in in person, just grateful. So um, let's pray. Lord God, you are good and your love does endure forever. And we just want to pause and say thank you for what you do. We also want to pause and praise you for who you are, because there's a difference. And Lord, I pray we get better and better at doing those two things. And Lord, today, you're giving us some impressive reasons to worship you and to live for you. Maybe some of the most, well, probably the most profound reasons for worshiping you and following you are in these words that we'll read today. They are familiar words, which is dangerous because it makes it easy for us to kind of brush them aside. Say, been there, done that, what's next? Lord, I pray we not do that. I pray we would not just water ski across the top, but that we would stop and deep sea dive in these verses, that we would hear them again for the first time that they would stir our hearts and our souls and our minds and our energies towards worship and towards obedience, a glad submission to a good God. Help me shine a light on, you, on these words so that these things would happen, that we would be changed and others around us as a result. We ask it in Christ's name, amen. So I think there's an image we can put up on the screen. I want to read to you a a, a letter, a short, short letter that was tweeted out uh, a few weeks ago, and it was tweeted out by somebody I don't know. It was retweet. You know how people can retweet things. And Mindy Bells, who is a, a reporter for World Magazine, I highly recommend it. She um, keeps up with things in Mid Eastern affairs, especially. And this is regarding the Afghan Christians that are still in Afghanistan. This is not the ones that have, that have evacuated. These are the ones that are still there and for all we know are going to be. There's going to be some Christians that are staying there. And this is a translation of a letter from a believer in Afghanistan. And some of it's blacked out so that to protect, to protect people, their names are blacked out. And that stamp just means it was uh, officially and correctly translated on August 8th, 2021. And it's from believer Christians in Afghanistan. it says, continuing the previous notice, I'm sorry, the letter is a, a posting from the government in Afghanistan on the door of a Christian, okay? Continuing the previous notice of the Majah Hadin of the Islamic Emirate. You are instructed to present your children who have converted from Islam to the obsolete religion of Christianity to the Majahideen of the Islamic Emirate for discussion as soon as possible. You do not have the right to complain about harm to family members or your property. These are people who live in a country where, if you go with the flow, you're a Muslim. And they have chosen to leave that and follow Christ. And I don't know whether they chose to stay there or not. I don't know any more of the story. It was just a reminder to me that there are people living in that country and other countries around the world where it is dangerous to be a Christian. They have chosen, they have decided that the case about Jesus is so compelling and so convincing and so life-changing that they're willing to have notes like that hammered to their door, risk their loved ones and their kids to still say, I'm going to follow Christ, I will not turn away. Where does that come from? Where does the desire to say, no, I will not betray my Christ and my Lord. I believe and I will trust and follow him. Where does that come from? It comes from faith rooted in the fact that God has spoken and I take him at his word. What has God said? That's why we read our Bibles, by the way. We answer the question, what has God said? But I want you to zero in on just three or four verses about what God has said that I think would be enough if you believed them. If you believe them to your toes, from head to toe, and you believe them so thoroughly that you actually allowed that to shape the way that you live, that you would literally orient your life around the truths spoken by God through these words. Now we're going through the book of Colossians. We called our series Supreme because it's about the supremacy of Jesus Christ. That means he is better than anything. He is bigger, and better, and, and uh, more beautiful than anything or anyone in all of creation and beyond creation. Okay? And he's going to, dr- Paul is going to drill down on that. Now, the reason Paul is doing this, we need to understand that he was writing to Christians in a region, and in particular in a city called Colossae in modern-day Turkey, where Christians in the church there were struggling because there were false teachings happening in the church where they were teaching things about who Jesus is and what he's done that were not true. And those things were undermining the unity of the church. They were undermining the good works of the church. Even though this church was called out by Paul as being faithful, loving, and hope-filled. So he loves this church. He's excited about this church. And at the same time, he's concerned and their pastor, probably a guy named Epaphras, had come to Paul and said, I need your help, I need your advice, I need something, we need to help the church because the church is being attacked from this false teaching from within, from the outside. And Paul writes this letter, and this is his this is his sword fight with the false teachers. This is the blade he chooses. Okay? And the point of the blade, the sharpest point of the blade, is verses. 15, 16, 17, and 18 in chapter 1, which is where we are today. If you ever wanted to know, how do you identify a cult? You ask, what do they, ask them, what do you believe about Jesus and how does it compare to things like this? There are four major Christological passages in the Bible. Colossians 1, 15 through 23, we're going to finish it next week. Um, Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 through 4 we'll refer to that here in just a second briefly John chapter 1 verses 1 through 18 and then Philippians 2 5 through 11 those are the four Christological passages Christological is a fancy seminary word I paid a lot of money to be able to say in front of you today just simply means the study of who Christ is and what he's done okay because that's what matters. Probably the only thing I can think of that is more important into our faith in what we believe than this passage or these Christological passages would be the truth of the resurrection. No resurrection, then we're to be pitied. There's no good in what we do and believe, okay? First Corinthians 15, that lengthy chapter will fill you in on the revela- on the resurrection. That's for another time. I do want to flip to Hebrews real quickly just to kind of get us a running start as we head into this. So flip to the right of your Bible. You don't have to go too far before you hit Hebrews. And then if you'll go to chapter one, I'm just gonna read a couple of these verses. In the past, God spoke. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us about his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. So there's creator. The sun is the radiance of God's glory. So if you look at the sun, it'd be like the sun is God the father and the sun beams are Jesus. That's kind of what he's saying here, the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. In other words, if you want to see what Jesus look, what God looks like, look at Jesus. Sustaining all things by his powerful word after he provided purification for sins that happened at the cross he sat down at the right hand of God the majesty in heaven because he's sovereign so he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs I also want to take you to one more verse keep going to the right back to Revelation chapter 6 and this refers back to the tweet I just shared with you this was the verse in the tweet that the person, either that sent the tweet or the person that retweeted it, added to this. You will remember this. This shouldn't be too distant in your memory if you've been around. Referring to martyrs, verse 9, chapter 6, Revelation, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. In other words, they heard the word of God and they took those words at face value and believed them. And as a result, they were martyred for their faith. They called out in a loud voice, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. And that day is coming. So as we boil with righteous indignation at what people are doing to Christians around the world, we need to rest in the confidence that God is gonna make those things right. Our job isn't to boil with indignation. Our job is to pray for them and to be prepared to walk in their footsteps. Yeah, I didn't hear any amens there, did I? Yeah. That's right. It's hard to it, and it's a lot easier to say, right? <laughs> All right. So, um, God is revealing himself through, he's revealed himself through creation. We can see the order in the universe and recognize that we're not living in a, a world uh, of chaos by design. It's a... It's a world designed that has turned into chaos and is moving in that direction because of sin, okay? And God has revealed himself through creation, but he hasn't stopped there. He gives us the stars, he gives us the amazing things in the micro level, the macro level, but he also gives us the, the word of God through the prophets and, uh, and through the nation of Israel revealing the word of God that was written through Moses and others, Right? So we have God has sent word to us, and he's tried to communicate to us over and over and over, this is who I am, this is what I'm about, and this is who I want you to be. Follow me, trust me, follow me. Abraham, one of the few to say, I'm with you, I'm in, I'm all in. And he's kind of like the poster child for faith. But that wasn't enough. Even the nation of Israel failed so gloriously that they went into exile and the nation was dissolved until 1948 when God brought it back together because God's doing that kind of stuff. But in the meantime, God said, well, we're going to take a detour. Jews, watch this. And then he went to the Gentiles. He sent his son to reveal himself in a way that really surpassed any other way he could do that. And that's what Christology is about. It's the study of how God has chosen to reveal himself profoundly and, and, and mercifully. And. Okay? I like to say it this way: God has gradually been moving the cookie jar to lower and lower shelves, and it's on the low sh- it's on the bottom shelf in these verses, so that anybody can reach the cookies now. We should all be able to hear these words and comprehend at some level enough to be changed by these words, and not just go, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, what's next?" There's no next. This is it. Everything else is details and gravy. This is the meat. This is the heart of what God wants you to believe. This is what causes you to worship what you should worship instead of what you do worship. This is what causes you to behave in the way you should behave instead of the way that we tend to be tempted to behave. This changes everything. And if you don't get this right, nothing else fits. Nothing else falls into place. And it, yes, it's a lifetime to get your, your hands around. But you know, you don't want to follow a God that's easy to master, or he's no master. All right, let's look at this. Starting in verse 15, let's look at what God's word says to us, and uh, let's break it down. Now, we're going to go through 23 next week. We're going to finish through 23 next week. So this is kind of a two-parter, and it's got three sections. We're going to cover two today. The first one is that Jesus is Lord of creation. Roman number one, if you're taking notes, Jesus is Lord of creation. Roman number two, he is head of the church. And then next week, he is Savior over the cross, Savior of the cross. Lord of creation, head of the church, and Savior of the cross. Now, normally we say savior of the world, don't we? Because it's all about us. But he's savior of the cross because of the cross, because of his willingness to go there. And so we're going to look at the first two today. Let's look at this first one. He is Lord of creation. Paul is writing, again, remember, he's writing these words to correct the false teaching that is occurring. How do we attack all the potential heresy that's out there? Just preach the truth over and over and over. And then people will recognize the fakes and brush them aside as they should. Verse 15, the Son, this is referring to the Son of God, who is Jesus, second person of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Son is the image of the invisible God. We've got to stop there. He is the image of the invisible God. We already saw in Hebrews, he's the radiance of the glory of God. It's just another way of saying, you can't see God. It says in John 1, 18, I think. Let's go there. Um, John, turn left. John chapter 1. At the end of that Christological passage, it says that no one has seen God, but it also says something else that I wanted to read. I can't remember. Verse 18 No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who himself who is himself God. I gotta go there. Hang on a second. Who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made Him known. So Jesus is revealing the Father. Jesus is called God. It doesn't get any clearer than this. Jehovah Witness friends, can you read this, please? Just verse eighteen. Mormon friends, could you read that? Verse eighteen. He is God. Read your Bibles. No one has ever seen God. He's invisible. So how do we know what God looks like? Look at Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. Go back to Colossians. So he is not just giving us a picture of what God looks like. Middle Eastern man in his 30s, hair to his shoulders, dark skin. Uh, he's, He's telling us what he's like, what he's really like. The glory of God is not what's on the outside. It's what's on the inside. It's what moved him to create in the first place. It's what moved him to redeem us when we didn't deserve anything but God's eternal lake of fire. It's those things, it's mercy and love and grace when justice is also appropriate. In fact, to ignore justice and only give mercy and grace would be a, a travesty, but to just be just and not do this is to not be merciful. God is loving and he is wholly just and he does both and the cross is the intersection of those two things. This is one of the reasons why we worship him. We're gonna drill down on that next week. That's the eight nineteen through 23. Talks about the reconciliation of God. Okay? So we see Jesus is Lord over creation. He's also Lord over salvation. And that's next time mostly. Okay? But let's keep going. So I want you to see this. This alone is reason enough to worship him, is it not? Right? Worship God, why? Because he, Jesus, worship Jesus because he gives us a picture of who God is. And if you don't want to be like that, then you need salvation. You need Jesus. If you don't want to be a person who shows mercy to people, then that's hard that's a hard life to live to show no mercy and if you're wanting to be just all the time there's a place for that for justice but there's a place for mercy all right so he says and finishing up verse, i was the son is the image of the invisible god the firstborn over all creation now it's it's one way you could read that is he is the first one born that's not what it means, or you have to ignore context. In other words, if you just read that verse, you could say, you could make the case. But you can't make the case if you read all around it, which is reading in context. And there's another meaning for firstborn that's used multiple times in the Bible, and it means first in rank or honor, not necessarily first in order. For example, King David, called the firstborn. What number son was he? Seven? He was the seventh, but he's called the firstborn. Okay. Israel is called the firstborn. Well, that's Jacob. He was the secondborn in the family. And even though the culture was the firstborn gets the bulk of the inheritance, God would override that at times to show his sovereign sovereign hand at work. He did it with Ephraim and Manasseh for Joseph. Joseph was like, No, no, you got your hand on the wrong guy. And because he went he did this. Jacob did this to bless his sons. He's like, No, you're supposed to put your right hand on the oldest. I know what I'm doing, Joseph. I'm only 120 years old. I know what I'm doing. That's still debatable. But anyway, God told him to do it and he did it. So God is working. Firstborn here is that he, in fact, you could read it. I think some translations, even in some Bibles in here, the firstborn before all creation. So here, here's what he did. So we see Jesus as, we see his authority that comes in the fact that he's in the image of God. We see here his agency. He is working and creating from nothing. He created us from nothing. Nothing you really don't need another reason to worship the one who created you because where would you be if he didn't create you from nothing? You wouldn't be. Right? We'd be nothing. We wouldn't be. It's not like there's this place for people who had not been created yet. (laughs) There's none of that. There was nothing, and he brought something into nothing. And he didn't have to go find them building materials to make it happen. He, be, he created those too. He's like, I need some dirt, okay? Dirt. All right, I got some dirt. Now I can make Adam. I need dirt to make guys, right? Mud, water, all right? Yeah, okay. All right, now I can make a guy, all right? So if we don't have, if he didn't create us, we don't have anything. If he creates us, he should be our everything. And I should be able to put a period here and walk out that and we would be transformed in our worship from here on out that is enough he created us and he did it in impressive fashion he created us from nothing he created us when he could have created someone else instead of us but he didn't he created you he created me and god doesn't make mistakes so look in the mirror and embrace the glorious mess that god is making that's called us okay do it with a smile don't cry don't look and go i hate what i'm looking at I understand that feeling I've been there I I get that I'm just saying don't stay there don't buy that lie that you're not supposed to be here there are people in our world that think they're an accident because their parents said well yeah you were an accident horrible thing to say but also not true in one sense in their sense sure but in God's sense absolutely not You are absolutely just as valuable as the person who been. they've been trying for decades and they finally have that child. Yep, you are no accident. We were trying for you. Just as valuable in the eyes of God. Okay? Don't miss that. Every single person ever to walk the planet, treasured by God. Okay, so he says, firstborn over all creation. This is, again, saying he is... Christ is creating, and he is, in, he is in charge. Now, I think maybe God the Father is probably the architect of all of this, and Jesus is the contractor. He likes to build, it seems like, uh, contractor, carpenter. All right, so um, I like that. They're working together. Um, the Holy Spirit's hanging out, giving them all they need to make it happen. Firstborn over all creation, verse 16. For in him, again, so we're talking about who? Christ Jesus, Son of God. He actually uses the Son here. He says, for in Christ, or in him all things you'll see the word all and every over and over and over it's like seven times in six verses all everything he is making a big point right this is a big deal in him all things were created and then he defines what just in case we want to leave something out he wants to make sure we don't things in heaven on earth things that are visible and invisible there's a lot of invisible things he's created whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. That's referring to the angelic world, the uh, celestial beings that we can't even see unless they choose to show up and reveal themselves. All of it, all things have been created through Christ, oh, and for him. So there's the aim. Okay, so if you like alliteration, we have the, the authority of Jesus, we have he's the the agency of Jesus the one who is the agent of creation here we have the aim or the goal of creation it's to bless Jesus our purpose is to glorify and bless Jesus okay now think about what you're doing in life right now I want you to think about how you're living and ask yourself the question do I each day go into my day going how can I bless Jesus today is that like on your to-do list top of the list how do I bless Jesus today maybe I need to start a list on how to do that Or maybe you could just live your life in such a way that you bless Jesus living your life. That would be, that'd be good. And purpose. And the power of the Holy Spirit. By grace through faith. Relying on his word and his his ways and his works. Easy to say. So easy to say. All things have been created through him and for him. That is Jesus is Lord of a creation. Roman numeral two, Jesus' is head over the church. Now, this sounds like a big step down, doesn't it? Okay, creation, church, <laughs> not even close, right? Because we look at church and we go, oh yeah, 261 Treeland Drive, Ladson, South Carolina. And God's like, no, you've got that. That's, that's a building, that's an address. That's even a warehouse, it's not even a real church. You know how people are like, that doesn't have a steeple, it can't be a real church. Because Jesus used steeples. <sighs> church okay he means the universal church he means all believers from acts two on i would even go back to the gospels it's probably arguable there so big umbrella kingdom of god underneath the kingdom of god which is all of god's people past present and future underneath that giant umbrella is a smaller umbrella called the church okay if you're a military guy and you like that lingo forward operating base fob that's the church. It's the edge of the expansion of the kingdom of God. It's part of the kingdom. It just doesn't include all of the kingdom because Abraham wasn't in a church. Abraham didn't have a Bible. Abraham just heard God and believed him. It's faith in a nutshell. How about that? Just how about, what if we just did that? Hey, God said do this. Okay. Because sometimes God says sacrifice your son. your firstborn. your only son. Yeah, that's why. It's hard. We need his grace. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Now, this doesn't sound much like church, but this is kind of the the overlap from creation. He sustains all things. Sustain me, hold it all together is a good way to say it. He said that in Hebrews too. So, I don't know a lot about this at the deep level, talking about physics, but I know that an atom is made up of electrons, protons, and neutrons. The nucleus is protons and neutrons with a positive charge, and the electrons orbit with a negative charge. And I know opposites attract, so I don't really understand why the atom doesn't collapse. And I know that likes repel, and I don't understand why the proton doesn't explode until I read this verse. And scientists don't understand either. They just say, there's some force, we don't know where that force comes from, that holds the atom together, but keeps it from imploding. We don't really know what to call it. They probably have a a name for it. I don't know. But they don't know where it comes from. They don't understand it. Because they've ripped these pages out of their knowledge um, in many cases. Jesus is holding it all together. And when he lets go of it, it's going to fly apart. Okay, and that'll happen since sometime we're between the earth and the new earth, the creation and the new creation. He holds it all together. He is the head of the body, verse 18, the church. Like I said, the church is all believers from all time, from like, I believe, those who believe that Jesus died on the cross for their sins, rose from the dead after three days, and they believe that he is the way and the truth and the life. That's the church. Those who believe that and have surrendered their lives to that and are following Jesus actively and leading others to do the same. Now, no one's doing that perfectly, so I'm not saying you have to do it perfectly, but that's what they're attempting to do by grace through faith. That's the church, universal. That's people who have been doing that and have passed, people who are doing it, and as long as we're still here, people in the future who will do it. That's the church, universal. Universal. When you hear the Apostles' Creed and it says the Holy Catholic Church, it's not saying the Holy Roman Catholic Church. It's saying the Holy Catholic defined universal church. Holy universal church doesn't really flow, so Catholic... No, I don't know why they... That's the word they used back then. They didn't have the Roman Catholic Church back then, okay? That was, the, that was an okay word when the Apostles' Creed came out. Now it's, it's loaded, so it's confusing, okay? There's also the local church, Grace Christian Fellowship is a local expression of the universal church. We are people who have chosen to be recognizable to others by coming and participating and submitting to one another, to leadership, and throwing in and saying, I'm serving along with this crowd right here, because they're a bunch of nutcases and I fit right in. That's, that's kind of, right? That's us. So, that's the local church, it says it should be, Okay. So he is the head of the universal church, and he is the head of the local church, okay? So while you might say, well, I thought the pastor was in church. Jesus is the head of the church, okay? And he's put a structure, a real simple structure in scripture, and he doesn't even tell us exactly how to do it, because he gives us freedom to do this as we feel like we need to do in our context. So plurality of elders here, I'm one of four, and... This, we, we try to make wise decisions on your behalf. As we listen to you, hear from you, you pray for us, and then you also get to select those leaders. So that process hopefully meshes into a group of men who consider themselves under shepherds to the great shepherd, the good shepherd, the chief shepherd, that is Jesus. Okay, First Peter 5. All right? He is said he is the head of the body, the church. So he uses that term, the body. Remember, that's a metaphor that Paul likes to use to describe us.
1: And so he uses the body. There's one body. So there's unity. The number one is the number. Right? He's already told us. Okay. going oh somebody said we got to write that as we got to put that to music that is you know all the musicians
0: are like so excited poetry finally lyrics yes and so they write music to it and then the church begins to sing it because like our kids will know this because they're going to sing it from an early age they're going to hear their
1: parents singing this because they're going to know their parents believe and they're going to look at the way that they live this is where it happens so he is the firstborn from what about Lazarus So I don't want to be too dogmatic
0: about that, but that is a distinction that has helped me. Resurrected means raised to walk and live forever alive, never to die, okay? So that's why I can say when, I, when I'm done here, you better be throwing a party because I am not dead and you better be celebrating that, okay? Don't get all caught up in the, in the woe is me, okay? You can grieve a little bit. It's okay to do that. I'll, I'll, I'll be paying attention, but <laughs> Right? I mean, you're going to forget me in 10-minute Maria made, so, I mean, come on. <laughs> I get it. Bring the recipe, okay? <laughs> All right, and this is where we're ending. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. Here's why. So that in everything he might have the supremacy, okay? Supremacy. I don't know about you, and I'm a little embarrassed to admit this, my wife's going to be embarrassed too, because when I think of Supreme, I think of, come on, you do too, Pizza Hut, right? Pizza Hut Supreme, you remember when that pizza first came out? Yeah, I hated it. I do not like veggies on my pizza, that's why. So that's what I think about, right? Meat lovers, no, but anyway... So supreme, what does it mean in their commercial? What they're saying is, this is the ultimate pizza. There's never going to be a pizza better than the supreme. Yes, they tried, right? But you see, Jesus is supreme, and this is this is not even in the same game. Because why? He tells us in these verses because He created us from nothing, and because He, um, because He is the head of the church. Okay, He is guiding us as family to do life with him together in such a way that we are being a blessing to those around us. That's the point. So it should affect our worship. Our worship should be him first and him only, not ourselves. Let's stop worshiping ourselves, okay? And let's stop saying we're not doing it, okay? Let's just stop lying to me and everyone else and just say, I am caught up with myself and I need to stop that and just admit it's an idol and throw it out of the room. Get rid of it, okay? You can, we point to everything else and those things are idols too, but let's just be honest. We worship us. We want what's good for us. And there's a level of that that's healthy and there's a level of that that's idolatry, okay? It's making good things God things and that's just not what we want to do. Worship him. And we've learned from a lot of the different things we've said that to worship him is, is not just show up for worship service, right? This is not it, okay? This is the time when we get together and do it. It's one of the times we get together to do it. Hopefully you're doing it at other times during the week in smaller groups and settings where you can have more cross-the-room across the conversation, cross-the-table conversation, okay? This is not ideal for discipleship. Sitting in rows is not ideal. Sitting in circles, much better, okay? But you worship him when you do both, and you can worship him at work, at school, I know, right? Um, when you're playing wherever you play, wherever you do for extracurricular, you can worship him in all of those things. Paul says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer yourselves, your bodies, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. That sounds like 24-7 to me. That means that I need to sleep in a manner that is worthy of him. I need to sleep in a way that was worshipful to him. How do you do that? Well, it probably means you don't spend much time worrying, which is keeping you up anyway, right? You see? Everything is potential opportunity for you to worship God. He just wants you to be the best you. He's given you everything you need to do it. He's given you the instructions, He's given you the love letter, He's given you the Holy Spirit, He's given you um, forgiveness through Jesus Christ's atoning work on the cross. He's giving you a future to look forward to and put your hope in. What else do we need besides some self-discipline? Okay, so there's a part for us. There you go. Effort is required. Discipline, self-discipline. But look, right? He wants us to worship him in all that we do. Think about what you do for a living. You probably have at times thought this job and, and not said some nice things about that job. You can worship him doing that job no matter how mundane and awful it is. You just have to give it a try. You just have to give it a chance and ask God, pray, how do I do that? How do I do that at school? Well, you might start by never cheating. That would be a good place to start. And then the kid next to you at whatever desk is there, maybe treating them well and on and on, doing your best in your studies and Praying not just to take the test, but pray to study for the test. Yeah, study. You study would be good. Studying, do that. So you see, everything we do is a potential opportunity for us to worship Him with our lips and our lives. So, so all of this is Jesus is supreme, right? Why is He supreme? Because He created us from nothing, okay? And He, and he leads us together to, to trust and follow Him by faith. And the third reason is going to be unpacked next week when we think about the fact that he did all of that on the cross for us when we didn't deserve it. We, in fact, we didn't want it, and he did it for us. The gospel isn't just to get saved. We're all recovering unbelievers. We're all addicts to believing lies. Okay? None of us have got this. And it's time we got a little more honest about that with each other and, and, and humbled ourselves and asked for some more help from our brothers and sisters and do this together and quit putting on a mask and quit pretending and all of that good stuff because that's it's not working. And I think we know that. It comes down to what do you believe. So in, in um, an island in the southwest Pacific in the 1800s, a fellow missionary from Scotland named um, John Payton, I think, P-A-T-O-N, was trying to take the gospel of John and translate it into a language for an island of cannibals. Sounds a little dangerous to me, but uh, he was doing that. And he couldn't figure out a word to translate faith, belief, or trust. That's kind of an important Bible word, isn't it? And he, I don't know what word to use. And so he's sitting, he's thinking, and then one day it hits him. And, and so he's sitting in his chair and his, uh, his servant comes in. His servant's an indigenous person from the island. And he says to that servant, he says, what am I doing right now? And he says, you're leaning with everything you are. You're putting your whole weight on the chair. And he says, that's the word for faith. It's putting your whole weight on the object of your faith. Well, we're not worshiping this stool, I hope. We're worshiping the creator of the universe who is so involved in the creation that even when creation fell, right, he didn't just walk away and say, well, they get what they deserve, but he came down, sent his son to show us the way to get out of the hole. He, he pulled us out by grace through faith. He pulled out all those who trust him, who put their full weight in Jesus Christ, who is not just Lord, he is God. He is not just somebody God created, some superhuman, super angelic being who then created the world, not scriptural. He is God who put on flesh, who, sh- who sh- shoved aside a lot of his glory, emptying himself so that he could ha- actually get into an earth suit because it can't contain God, and he decided he would be fully human, and show us what God looks like when when someone is fully surrendered to God, willing to live for him and die for him. That is who's calling you and me to live the life he saved us to live. Awesome. Is that not awesome? I mean, part of me is scared to death, and part of me is pumped, right? And probably that's not a bad tension. Question is, are you doing that? How's your worship? Not just in the room. How's your worship between Sundays? How's your worship with your lips? How's your worship with your life? And how are you doing at trusting and following the Lord Jesus in all things in your life? The the things that happen at home. The things that nobody else knows about. You know, those closets you don't let anybody into. I'm talking figuratively now. The rooms of your heart that you don't open to people. What's happening in those rooms? Is Jesus, are you letting him in? Are you allowing him to transform you there? In your mind? In your heart? Are you being vulnerable in a healthy way? Or are you just clamming it up and stuffing it down? He wants you to live, truly live abundantly. That's what Jesus wants for you. But you've got to trust Him. You've got to put your whole weight on Him. You can't trust in counselors ultimately. They are God uses them. You can't trust in books. you can't trust in um, people on TV that you like to watch, YouTube, whatever, whatever it is you're relying on is not enough. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. He's the one that fixes marriages. He's the one that re- reconciles broken relationships. He's the one that overcomes addiction. He's the one that digs you out of depression. He's the one that erases the worry. And I could go on and on. You get the idea. He's the only one that gives you what you need to do what you want to do. And you want to do it. You just have to decide to put forth the effort. And that's self-discipline. Okay? We track him? We probably need to pray then, don't we? Because I can't do this, and neither can you, apart from him. So let's pray. Lord, it's so much easier to say this than do it. And I just thank you that your grace is so amazing that you give us a chance. You get us do-over after do-over, mulligan after mulligan. You just keep forgiving us. Well, Lord, here we are again, confessing our sin and repenting of it, saying, Lord, please help me not repeat that. Being so sorry that we actually don't want to do it again. And we will do it again, probably. God, help us. Mercy, mercy, mercy. I thank you, God, that your love matches your holiness and therefore your mercy matches your justice. And while we deserve nothing but your justice, you make mercy available to us through the cross of Christ, which is why we worship you ultimately. We thank you for creating us from nothing. We thank you for being the head of the church that is us gathered, trying to figure out how to live this life of faith and that ultimately you're the savior of the cross it made it all possible. God, help us to embrace this so tightly it changes what we'll allow to orbit our lives. May we kick out those things that are distracting us, that are pulling us down, that are tearing us apart, and may we humble ourselves, humble ourselves, and, and turn to those we've hurt and those that we love and those that we really want to be reconciled to, and may we say, I'm sorry, but I'm not just sorry. I'm going by the grace of God to change God you make those things happen you're the person that makes those things happen but we have to cooperate we have to do our part we can't earn it but we definitely need to put forth the effort and so Lord we ask for your grace even in that thank you for giving us an opportunity to hear and think about this today thank you for the letter that Paul wrote to the church at Colossae May we dive in deeper and learn the lessons that he was teaching them, that you were teaching them, so that we might find the same freedom that they found in Christ Jesus. In his name we pray. And everybody said,